Brandon. This is Brandon. <laughs> that was that, that was fun. That was. Uh, we're a couple of theater nerds uh, who like to go to the movies and enjoy talking about movies. So join us as we review the movies we have just seen and that we will inevitably disagree on. This is the Drive Home Reviews podcast. You like my Patrick uh, tribute there? Which Patrick tribute? The the your murder. Oh, mur- true crime obsessed. Yeah. yeah. This is Brandon! Oh, <laughs> well, you were being Patrick. Okay. That's, what, that's the story I'm going to go with. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk the, the, uh, the war What is genre. it good for? Yeah, um, Okay, but before we do that, uh, just a quick note, just in case you missed our last review... Um, if you hear, if the audio quality is different this time, it's because we are going old school with this review and actually reviewing it as we're driving. Yes. So if the audio quality is a little wonky, you hear background like the air conditioning or the road, or we suddenly find the road is closed due to bicycles or something, um, that, that that's why. So just, uh, just a little FYI there. Yes. Uh... So anyway trying to fit our reviewing into our schedule it means uh you know reviewing while we drive hey you know and the, hence the name the <laughs> drive home reviews podcast and we are actually driving home this time so uh, let's talk we're, we're gonna be reviewing oppenheimer yeah. um but before we do that uh it kind of got us on the subject of uh war movies in general um, it's a big genre. It is a big genre, and it, especially if you include anything that's happening during a war, mm. because I mean, come on, that's basically most of the well, like, 20th century. That's the hard part of like, is this is this a war movie? Because like, I feel like we had this exact same conversation with Air. Is it a sports movie? Or even though sports is kind of the inciting incident, is it really about? Sports. I would say this. Huh, I would say one of the plots of this movie is definitely <laughs> a war movie. Yeah. Um. But um. So let's see. So do you have any that stand out to you? First of all. Um. One of my favorite, of course, uh, my dad is uh, a war movie buff. John Wayne, and you know he loves the classic war films and all that. So I've seen a bunch of them. Uh, my favorite war movie, I believe, would probably be the Memphis Belle. Okay, yeah. Um, Let's see. Who, I'm trying to remember. Matthew Modine? Matthew Modine, Tate Donovan, Harry Connick Jr., Sean Astin. Yes. You know, like, it's uh, uh, Billy about Zane. To, about to ship off, right? They are, they are on, they're the first plane to, about to complete their tour of duty. Right. So they have they have one more mission and then they're done. But that last mission is like deep in the heart of Germany. Right. So it's you know it's it's that you know ninety percent of the film takes place on board the 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 bomber. I'd say that one is a pretty good representation of a you don't want to say a buddy war movie, but you know an ensemble war the, movie. It's the it's a good it was. A, a good example of kind of like the the band of brothers kind of war movie, the kind that was very popular during the war. You know, the we few, we happy few. You know, we, you know, these everyday people doing extraordinary things kind of kind of stories. So, um, speaking of band of brothers, did you ever watch the entire? Thing? I did not watch the entire thing. I've seen pieces of it, but I haven't watched the entire thing. I have, and I think that you probably would go back and it would be easier for you to do now, considering that's kind of how we consume all media now. Yeah, true. In the, like, the the, the mini-series type of binge-watching. Um, it would be interesting to see if it's still... Like, obviously... There's parts of it that are a little bit screwed up because of the subject matter and the time place it takes them, but I think it would still be a good watch today. Adam Goldberg was in that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What I remember about Band of Brothers is that it was like the top-selling DVD 
Yeah, and it for, costs like a hundred something bucks for the whole. Yeah, but so. for for Christmas, Father's Day, we could not keep that thing on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, that I yeah I remember that. You know another another good World War Two one is not. It's hard to even call this one a movie because it's more like a documentary reenaction. Uh, is Tora Tora Tora. Okay. Which is, if you've never heard of it, it's a movie about the bombing of Pearl Harbor told from both the American and Japanese perspectives. I so, don't think I've seen that one. You know, they had a they had a Japanese director direct all the Japanese scenes, and an American director directed all the American scenes. Um, it's very long. <laughs> Like I say, it's more like a documentary. Like they have, they they feature just about everybody who had anything, like the entire series of events that led to it and how it didn't get stopped, and it covers everything. And sometimes it feels like it takes forever, and but the attack sequence is fucking. It is something else, especially when you consider it's all practical. Now, speaking of Pearl Harbor. Did you watch Pearl Harbor? Yes, I watched Pearl Harbor. And from your tone of voice, I can tell that you thought much of it. I I will I refer you to the seminal work on Pearl Harbor, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor, uh, the song from Team America, World Police, Pearl Harbor Sucks and I Miss You. Uh, uh, I refer you to that, and I think that kind of covers my... Pearl Harbor did not pass my Is This Better Than an App test. No. I slept through that one. Um, let's see. Okay, so uh, now speaking of like we were, we're still on World War Two here. Um, the movie I'm thinking of is the the one um, where they're BBC film writers and they're writers. oh oh their finest. Yes, one of my favorite movies. Yes, it has crossed over into that. Uh, Exalted Company. Yeah, for, yeah, that is a great movie. Now, that's a war movie. It's yeah. Probably, uh, yeah. Making the propaganda films, right? Yeah. So, I would consider that. That is, if that's, if you enjoy period pieces, that would be one I would recommend highly. I would recommend it highly, even if you don't. It's a great movie. <laughs> but you know what's funny is that when we say war movies, what we're usually talking about is World War Two? Right. That yes. tends to be what most people consider the now, genre to be. I would say that we have gotten not as many as you would think by this point, but we we've gotten some good movies about Vietnam. Oh, there's a lot of Vietnam movies. Um. um there interestingly, are... you were telling me the other day you've never seen Apocalypse Now. No, I've I've, I've never had the desire to see Apocalypse Now. Uh, that one is a like that one will really send you on a mind bender. I guess you're right. I guess it's it's World War Two and Vietnam are the two film or the two the two films. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of World War One. Um, all quite on the Western Front. You're seeing more of them now. That yeah. one that came out a few years Dunkirk. ago. Uh, Dunkirk's a World War Two. Dunkirk's World War Two. Yeah. Okay. Um, Which one's the World War One one? Uh, Nineteen. 18 or whatever, the, the the one that shot supposedly in real time oh, that was out a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. So that that was a World War One. Um, Here's an interesting one. A war movie. Okay. That is perhaps not really thought of as a war movie. Um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget the name of it now. <laughs> oh, that one. Our Irish movie. Oh, you're the Banshees of... Of Innershin. Yeah. The Banshees of Innershin. That is an allegory of the, a war movie. For the Irish Civil War. That's an, but that's, a, that's an allegory movie, not necessarily a war movie. True, true. You know. Uh, uh, you know what is a good one uh, for Civil War? Glory. Okay, Glory, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the only one I was thinking of was uh, Gone with the Wind, and that's got some really, like, that's got a lot of racism in it. Um, of course, yeah. I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be period specific yes but I mean, the, the way that they treated the black actors was still pretty racist so um plus like they took the whole plight of the civil war and made about how hard it was for the white lady I mean, <laughs> um but 
okay, so Glory. Mm -hmm. With uh, Morgan Freeman, mm -hmm. Denzel Washington, it's where he run, won his first Oscar. Uh, Matthew Broderick, Carrie Elways. Um, oh, the, the, the guy who plays the captain on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, whose name I can never remember. Andre Brower? Yeah, he's in it. Yeah, it's a great film. Though I, I will always maintain, as great as Denzel Washington is, the movies he's won the Oscar for are not the movies I think he deserved the Oscar for. I think other, like Morgan Freeman deserved the Oscar for Glory more than Denzel Washington. Has Morgan Freeman gotten an Oscar? Yes, he got one for Million Dollar Baby, the Clint Eastwood film. But he should have had one for Shawshank. He should have. I've... Well, see, that's a hard one because that was a big year for, if I remember correctly, that was, he was nominated for Shawshank, Gary Sinise was nominated for Forrest Gump, no. Martin Landau was nominated for Ed Wood, yeah. and he's the one who won, and it's like, picking yeah, between those three, that's a hell of a, that's a, those are some great performances. So, it, he probably should have won for Shawshank, but... You know, when you're up against that kind of competition, it's, it's hard to say someone didn't deserve it. Uh, so, a lot of those ones that we're talking about, well, like, in, in, back to Revolutionary War times, you've got... The Patriot. The Patriot. That's it. <laughs> um, no, there's there's more. Unless you count not, 1776. Well, if you count 1776, you have to count Hamilton. Oh, God. So, and I know you don't ever want to count Hamilton. Never. Um, so... But a lot of these that we're talking about were made some time ago. And while I, I do think that they are, they definitely present a point of view. If you look at, oh, another one I was thinking of was Good Morning Vietnam. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, they definitely present a point of view. But I feel like the movies that have been based around war in the past few years the point of view has been trying to push a patriotic agenda. They felt more like like propaganda films than they have um, like war movies with something to say. You know? know. Something like um, Seal Team 6 okay. or uh, the one that Bradley Cooper was in with the shooting where he was... The, oh, American Sniper? Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a, a propaganda film. the most recent First Blood movie. Um, you know, a lot of those that you would like... Oh, and this, The Sound of Freedom. Like, things that you would consider to be, like, fighting or war movies are... Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> yeah. So... But I, I, I do believe that for all of those... There are films that come out on the other side. I think I believe the Hurt Locker True. was very kind of the truth of war. There was one that came out a few years ago with Sebastian Stan and Samuel L. Jackson. I think it was called the Oh my God, uh, the Last Act of Courage or something like that about a lawyer investigating um, an incident during the Vietnam War to see if. Uh, I was gonna say uh, Captain America, yeah. soldier. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's weird that we can kind of associate all Hollywood down to the people who were in the Marvel movies yeah. at this point. Um, now there was a movie called Jarhead. Yeah, that was really good. Look at kind of you know the intense pressure. Um, but as far as like. Looking at soldiers and the military and things like PTSD, I, I really think television is doing a better job of examining that kind of thing than movies are. Um, even things like Law and Order SVU or you know things, shows of that nature, um, really talking about trauma and decompression and the things that people go through during war. Fire Country even talked about that. it's kind of a six and one half dozen of the other for movies. I think, I, I do believe that a lot of them do use it for a more let's say conservative perspective, but I do think that for all of those, there are those on the other side. 
Now, what would you would you consider a few big men in a war movie? Uh, I would. I don't know. It deals with the military, but I don't know if I consider it a war movie. Well, it's dealing with a specific incident on Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. So. So I don't know. Yeah, that's that's kind of like. Do you separate war movies versus military movies? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a difficult question. Also, we, you know, we we're missing a a glaring. Uh, one, um, Polly Shores <laughs> was it in the army? In the army now. In the, <laughs> with Andy Dick. Yes. <laughs> yes. The let us never forget the most poignant political commentator of our day, Polly Shore. Lori Petty was in that one, wasn't she? Yes, she was. I mean, that is the first time actually. And, and David Allen Greer. Because I was a, I was you know, 90s teen when that came out and, you know, I I did not realize women were not allowed to go in combat situations until then. So, yeah. Interesting. But, anyways, um, what about G.I. Jane, speaking of women in combat situations? Uh, again, feels more like a military movie, less of a war movie. True. True. Now, would you consider something like say the first Captain America. That's a war movie. Uh, it's fictionalized. Fictionalized version of World War II. I I don't know what I don't know if I'd go that far with that one because I that one I still feel fits into a comic book movie set during World War II, like The Rocketeer. Okay. You know? I there was a really great series on couple of years ago. I'm going to totally forget what it was called. Um, but basically the concept was that what what happened if Germany had won? There's been a lot of like that. There's been a lot of... Gosh, I cannot remember. I mean, if you're going that far, then do we count Indiana Jones as war since he's fighting Nazis? Technically? Like, that's my question. Like, what is the, I think, I don't know, it's too hard to define genre, subgenre. Yeah. You know? But you know what's interesting to me, and I think, um, when, when you think of war films, I think, and I'm speaking generally here, when you're thinking of films that are rah, rah, wave the flag, you know, we few, that's usually a World War II film. It is. Yeah. And I think that's because that's the last war we fought that it was... A clear, definitive winner? Yeah. Well, not only that, but, I mean, can you really say there weren't a, it wasn't a good guy and a bad guy? Like, are, are, you really, are we really going to sit here and go, yeah. no, that Hitler, he had, he had some de- decent points and we shouldn't have gotten involved. No. You know, so no. It's, it's one of those things where... From a from a strictly storytelling perspective, I would say that's one of the few wars in history you can really say that about. Yeah, you know, like because even World War One was more about boundary lines and colonialization than it was about you know good guy versus bad guy. Um. So yeah, I would I would agree with you there. You know, you but, know, there's plenty of people who would try to say that about the Vietnam War, but well, I, I think the Vietnam War movies are the other way. I think when when they start talking about the reality of war and the you know the aftermath, like the only movie about World War II that really sticks out where that was a big topic was The Best Years of Our Lives, right? Yeah, okay. which is a fantastic movie if nobody's ever seen it. Interesting historical uh, topic. Uh, did you know that the actor who plays Hugh, uh, Homer in The Best Years of Our Lives is the only actor to receive two Academy Awards for playing the same character? Or, or for, for the exact same movie, rather. No. He won two Academy Awards for that role. How? Um, well, he was up for Best Supporting Actor, but they couldn't guarantee he was going to win. So they nominated him for Best Actor, too? No, so they gave him an honorary award. Oh. Because he was not an actor. Okay. He was was an actual amputee. Okay. Who they, who agreed to be in the movie. That's like, 
I think the only actual movie he made. You know, weirdly, Forrest Gump deals pretty honestly with the aftermath of war. Yeah, with the with the Lieutenant Dan character. Mm-hmm. And you know, with uh, Bubba like being killed in the war. Yeah. Um, and of course, born on the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. But that's <laughs> a Tom Cruise movie. So you know. We are not Tom Cruise stands in this house. No, not 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 really. Um. So yeah, there there's I think more focus now on aftermath of war. Yeah, now there is. Now they now that's that's more of a of a theme in a lot of these films, but. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I, I think that they they could be delving deeper into that. I know. You know, women coming back, I think, I'm thinking of uh, Revolutionary Road, was it? Is that the one with Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio? That was Titanic. No, they did two together. <laughs> Never mind. Anyways. Um, okay, so let's chat. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about a bomb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the question is, are we referring to the atomic one or the cinematic one? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, be back in a second. Uh, okay. Ah, is, is Oppenheimer still running? Yes. Yes, Oh, it is. my God. Um, a warning to those of you who decide to go see Oppenheimer. It is over three hours long. Like over three hours. Um, And had plenty of places it could have stopped. It'd been perfectly fine to stop there. But let's talk Oppenheimer. Oh my god, there. I. Okay, I'm going to start with this. This is how I want to start. I truly believe, and I'm not a big one for conspiracy theories. But I truly believe this whole Barbieheimer thing <laughs> that, that the internet suddenly invented, I truly believe that was started by the studio putting out Oppenheimer as a way of guarding, of gaining some kind of an audience. Uh, because it made people feel like they had to go see both. <laughs> Didn't it? I mean, am I wrong? You know, there's this whole thing of which one are you going to see first? Do you see Oppenheimer first and then go to Barbie? It never asks the question, do you fucking want to see Oppenheimer? Well, I always was going to see Oppenheimer because I'm a history nerd. So it was always one that I was going to want to go see. But I think maybe... I think that's going to see a perfect little nugget of a movie like Barbie and then seeing this afterwards just exemplified how bad it was. Mm. Um, okay, let's get into Well, especially when you consider just how and I, I think that's why people kind of delved into this uh, this internet thing is just how diametrically opposed these movies are in everything. Yeah. Color, pacing, tone, you know, Okay, so let's let's talk basics. Uh, Killian Murphy is playing J. Robert Oppenheimer, the person who was the director for the Manhattan Project, which of course is the atomic bomb that, uh, well, bombs that were dropped on Japan during World War II. Um, he, we start off with a biopic. It delves into a war movie and then ends with a political drama. Yes, there's there like, are, this movie was three movies. Three movies in one and I didn't necessarily want to see at least two of them. Yes. <laughs> so I, and I think this is the first thing we're gonna get into and it is um, we, we've, we've already said it, but God damn this movie is long. Yeah. And this movie is long because it is not one movie. Yeah. It, it, and I think that is... Some people may love this, but to me, it is like 
what story are you telling? Well, and, you know? okay, this is an issue with biopics. You know, a, a life is not succinct. Life, life it does not have one plot line. It has multiple plot lines. So when you're telling the story of a person, you have to pick and choose the focus of that story. And, and Christopher Nolan did not do that. Well, I think he did. He just didn't want to give up anything else. Because the story is about what he, the, what he was getting at was the whole, um, they need you until they don't. And they'll praise and they'll praise you as a genius one minute and stick a knife in your back when you're no longer of use to them. But here's so, the problem. He tells okay, we well said three different stories. Yes. And he tells each of them with different cinematic tools, different camera motions, different film even. One of them is done completely on black and white film. Mm -hmm. One of them is done more of sepia tone, and one I think would be digital. Yeah. I'd say. And I don't know because he doesn't use digital film, does Christopher Nolan? Well, there's three. There's definitely three different looks to the yeah. three different sections of the movie, and it's all interspersed. It's not chronological. You start off with the latest, the, the most recent point in history at like... The black and white. It, which is done in black and white. And then you're going all over the place to childhood, or not necessarily childhood. Young adulthood young when he's adulthood. in college and then... And then, like, I never fully grasped if Oppenheimer's little trial was going on at the same time as, as Strauss's trial. Because you have Oppenheimer's life is the one, one section of it. And the second section is this trial he has put on to see if he is still patriotic and deserves security clearance. Mm -hmm. And then the third one with Robert Downey Jr. is Strauss's, um, what are they called? The hearings to determine if they can be a cabinet member. Yeah, it's vetting process. And they're... <laughs> They jump from one to the other continuously throughout the movie, which is fine if that would have if they would have picked one and said this is our base of our movie mm. and then gone off of it. Yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> so, so that is issue number one. Okay, what's issue number two? Issue number two for me is what I've said from, and one of the reasons why. Until you decided, I had no desire to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> and that is because Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan is a brilliant visual director. I I really respect his, his adherence to classic filmmaking standards. I really appreciate that he is much more likely to use practical effects than CGI. Um, I really appreciate all these things about him. But his biggest flaw as a filmmaker is his complete detachment from all human emotion. And this film is a three-hour-long example of that. We know the characters are supposed to be feeling emotions. They're telling us they're feeling emotions. But, you know, he uses a lot of fancy camera tricks and editing to convey the emotions. But in most instances, I am never, I never convinced that the character is actually feeling whatever emotion they're supposed to be feeling, with only one exception. Florence Pugh? Matt Damon. Oh, yeah. Matt Damon. Matt Damon is the only person giving a spirited, energetic um, performance. I made, I, I made this comparison when we, were, when we were actually leaving the theater. I remember seeing a documentary about the, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team. And they had footage of their training camp from like the 70s. And they would be skating with these bungee cords. You know... To, like get them to skate against resistance and all of that. And that's what I feel almost every actor in this movie was doing. They were acting with these bungee cords constantly pulling them back 
from actually connecting emotionally with anything that was being said or done. And I say, I don't respect Christopher Nolan as a director, even visually, because I feel like he is still using every trick in his book like a film student. And secondly, he cannot or will not portray women in a likable way in any of his movies. Um, Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh are basically the only real female characters in this. There's a couple other bit parts where we don't even get to know their name. Um, and Florence Pugh is a phenomenal actress, a phenomenally emotive actress. And Emily Blunt is, can be charming and still have a disagreeable personality. Like we were talking about The Devil Wears Prada, where she is definitely an unlikable person, but still charming on the screen. In this movie, I felt like someone was physically pulling her features down and making her unlikable. <laughs> <coughs> like, just completely unlikable. They saved a lot on her wardrobe, though. No, they saved a lot on Florence Pugh's wardrobe. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She's naked the majority of the time. And good for you. You do you, Florence. You look great, okay? That's uh, awesome. But I just... <laughs> the way they cut it so that... Even as they were doing close-ups, her nipples were still in the shot. I don't. It just felt objective more than necessary. Didn't you think? Yeah, it did. Well, and, I, and I'm sorry. And this, I'm going to get real basic here and real mean, maybe. You know, I get that they they keep saying that you know Oppenheimer was such a ladies' man. You know, apparently. But you know, just from the character they portrayed, like, why? Like, were all these women like, ooh, the greasy scarecrow boy? No. Mm -hmm. Okay, and see, I think that's your problem is that you think of him as scarecrow. No, I think, no, I'm not saying like scarecrow from Batman. I mean a fucking literal skinny ass scarecrow. I disagree with you. I think Killian Murphy has a very pretty face. In other movies, not in this one. I don't know. He's still attractive. Plus, brilliance will get you far. Okay? Being the smart guy, being the professor will get you you laid a lot. Okay. Um, But, yeah. No, there was... I felt... I felt more distracted by her nudity than... And his nudity, honestly, because yeah. they're both naked in these chairs. Yeah, he's just sitting there smoking, butt naked, and he's just like, hey, how you it doing? It was more distracting than But again, see, this is, a, this is meaningful. A, this is exactly what I'm talking about, because the, here you have, these two people are both naked in their most basic, primal form mm-hmm. after, a, after a, you know, a, a night of supposed lovemaking. And they're supposed to be having a embittered conversation about him laying breaking, themselves bare you know breaking his, breaking off their relationship and it's and they are just like oh are you not going to see me anymore no I'm not going to see you anymore she can't do for you what I can oh I know that you know it's like, it's like you get more stimulating conversation flirting with the goddamn wall well and the thing is like and I get them being naked in the scene is them being vulnerable with each other but you didn't have to show me. That. But they're like, not vulnerable. No. Like, like I say, you, I could excuse it if it, if I felt like it was giving way to some kind of human connection, and it's not. They're just naked. Um, and then the parts where, you know, Oppenheimer's having these kind of panic attacks, thinking about, um, you know, the damage that the bombs have done and whatnot. And instead of letting us read that on his face, because we could, Killian Murphy is a very good actor. We could have read that on his face. He could have emoted that. Instead, like the walls behind him are waving and the, no, like there's making a wah, wah, wah noise. And like, it's I just, no, it feels like Christopher Nolan trusts 
his effects and his camera work, but not his actors. And that really sucks because this was a, this was loaded with talented people. Yeah, this had, a, this had an amazing cast. Killian Murphy, Matt Damon, um, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr., Jack Quaid's in there, mm -hmm. Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt, um, we had a, a, a Benny Safke, um, who was the, what's his name, Crummeltz? I don't remember. Um, the guy who plays Isidore. David Crummeltz. Because if you need a Jewish guy who does math, you get David Crummeltz. Um, which I thought he did pretty well in this. Uh, oh gosh, I can't even think of who else. Just like, I mean, Gary Oldham as... As Harry Truman, yeah. <laughs> Excuse um, me, star-studded, but not... When you have that much talent in your cast, you don't have to rely on all these fancy the best tricks. I, I can I, I think Robert Downey Jr. did a good job mainly because it was so opposite the what we have come to know as the Robert Downey Jr. performance. You know, he's become so synonymous with Tony Stark and that kind of snarky right. you know, and this was so far removed. It shows that tone that Robert Downey Jr. has range. Yeah, that Robert Downey Jr. is actually a really great actor. I know a lot of people um, who only know him as Iron Man might not remember all the things he did prior to that. But it, it, um, so I thought his performance was was good in that respect. Um, to me, the MVP of it's Matt Damon. Right. Because the only time I was entertained and interested in paying attention is when Matt Damon was on the screen. Josh Hartnett was in there too. Yeah, yeah, Josh Hartnett was in there. <clears throat> so, but, like, if, when Matt Damon and Killian Murphy were on there doing their their Leonard and Sheldon back and forth, okay, yeah, that was that kept me interested. But, but the rest of the time, it was it was a slog. It was an absolute slog to get through. It was, and and I'm not saying that a three hour movie can't be entertaining. I've sat through Gone with the Wind. I've sat, you know, I've seen plenty of three-hour-long movies. I will watch, I don't know how many episodes of a documentary in one sitting. But it didn't have anything new to say, you know? And I think, and that's unfortunate, because I do think that Oppenheimer's story is an important story to tell about how... He got caught up in this thing and realized the damage it was going to cause and what, like, backtracked because you can do that. That is something people don't realize they can do. When you realize that you're wrong about something, you are allowed to go back and change your mind. And he did that and he fought for, like, regulations on atomic weapons and nuclear weapons. So, and I think that is an important story to tell. I think it completely gets lost in this mess of a movie. Hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, nothing that isn't just a, a, a rant. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> because, I, again, you know, like, you compare this, compare this to the Barbie movie. Okay. Which is, again... Comparing apples and oranges, because they're two very different types of film. Fuck apples and oranges. But, this is comparing a plain piece of paper and a pineapple. Yes. <clears throat> um, I mean, one is a lot more colorful, a lot more manic, a lot more, you know, surprisingly depth-filled, and the other is the Barbie movie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, just had, I just had to do that. I'm sorry. No, but I, but seriously, like, I got more depth of emotion. Right. I connected more with the characters in that manic fucking acid trip that was the Barbie movie than I got out of this three-hour-long, self-congratulatory Oscar bait film. And let's... You think what you should have said was, one was a movie about plastic people who can't seem to um, handle their emotions and live in a crazy, chaotic world. And the other movie is about a doll. And the other movie is the Barbie movie. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and, and let's make no mistake, folks. I I am very confident this thing is going to get award nominations oh, if yeah, not win. Of course. I I predict Oscars for uh, nominations for Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. Emily maybe Emily Blunt and maybe Matt Damon. This film is probably good because it's it's the kind of film that film uh, cinema files and. Um, Critics and all those just love, but and maybe if I'd seen this three years later and I watched it on my own time and could kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe I'd be in that camp. Maybe it's one that if I watch it again, if I'm you know ever suffering from insomnia <laughs> and I feel the need to to put myself through that, I do because I do that. I will go back and rewatch films that I have previously panned to see, okay, and do I feel differently with age and time and, you know, but I, I just could not connect or anything with this goddamn movie and the fact that it, it refused to end. Oh yeah, it was bad. Oh, I have not seen that many false endings since The Lord of the Rings. Also, Christopher Nolan kept trying to do the thing that he does in like Tenet and Memento and all of his Christopher Nolan movies where there's a twist or a turn or you didn't see that coming. But the thing is, is like, this is a biopic. Okay? Like, like, can't, like, I don't want you to go back and reframe it from a different direction. Like, it's a, it's a biopic. Like, don't... And, I, and the sheer, and I, I, I... Again, with the biopic, I don't know how you fix this, but there's so many goddamn people, you can't keep any of them straight. No. And... Josh uh, Peck was in there. They're all they're all dressed the same. Yeah. You know, like, there's there's one part where they're trying to figure out who... In the in movie number three, mm-hmm. with the... With, with Oppenheimer on trial, or is that movie number two? I totally forget. I don't remember. But either way... They're like, a, who gave Oppenheimer's file to the reporter? Who did that? Who did it? And then they're like shooting the guy from the side in the back so you don't see his face. And he sits down and they finally show and they're like, well, who the fuck is that? Yeah. You know, it's that it's that time of the apes thing. You know, our mystery guest is, who's that? It was, <laughs> and like, they did that like a kind of a sneak thing later and then like, oh, who's this actor playing this colonel? Get up because we thought the movie was over. Oh my gosh. Oh, and you know what is the weirdest thing is like the most exciting part of the movie should have been like as they're counting up to test the bomb. And that's the part that was the most boring and I almost fell asleep through. Like And I'm so and you can do this, like you can't like it's very possible to take a true life story, something where you know the outcome and still make it exciting. You know, Apollo 13 is yeah. a great example of that. But I'm sitting there like, it's going to work. Can we just, can we speed this up? We're all sitting here. Like, they, did, they didn't set the atmosphere on fire. It worked. Let's. I think less interesting would have been the lead up to how it was done. And more interesting would have been afterwards. Like, the story they should have told was afterwards how that affected him. And, oh, pretty, pretty ponies. Um, how we, we just drove past pretty ponies. She's not saying we should have pretty ponies in the movie. Like, the, it should have been how it affected him and how he changed his thinking and why that... But that gets lost in the murk of everything else. And, like, there were so many untied plot points that they just kind of left open. Like, at one point, um, he and his wife Kitty asked friends to take care of their son for a while. And then you never hear about it again. And all of a sudden, they've got the son back. But it was never, like like resolved and 
it was alluded to that the wife was an alcoholic, but never, I mean. And every time their fucking kid was on screen, he was screaming. Oh, my God. Every, every time. fucking time. Like, just. You know what I got nostalgic for watching this movie? Mm. There's a documentary called The Atomic Cafe. And it is, it's like, it's made up of just all film clips and documentary clips and newsreels kind of detailing the hysteria around the bomb and the, and the direct quote unquote fallout in the fifties. And, uh, I remember watching it in high school and it's, it's one of the most gallows humor films you'll ever see. Interesting. You know, it's got like, they have a bunch of the soldiers when they're about to test one of the bombs. And this is actual archival footage, and the guy, the commander's out there going, now remember, the thing that is the most dangerous is the light, not the heat. So don't worry about the light. And on the chalkboard behind him, it says, things that are dangerous. And the first one is heat, underlined three times. Uh, you know, anyway. Uh, you know, but, now, there was a very interesting episode of called The Midwife <clears throat> that talked about the radiation poisoning that's the, uh, the people were subjected to during testing and, and during the bombing and whatnot. So, anyways. Yeah, but so, um, look, I I get why, a lot, like I say, like a lot of film geeks are going to cream their pants over this. I hate that phrase. And I get how, like I say, the Academy is going to love it, but... I, 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 I was, I could not have cared less watching this movie. No. Could not have cared less. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's the worst part. I am a, like I said, history nerd, especially when it comes to the mid-century, mid-20th century era. I am a total history nerd. And I could not care less about this story anymore. Yeah. You know? And maybe if he had sharpened his focus either told us the story about the creation of the bomb or the story about him being on trial. Either one of those would have made a fine movie. Together, smushed together, it is just three hours that you are just sitting there going... It's very rare for me to leave a movie and not do more research on it. On a, especially something that's a historical you know, biopic or anything like that. Uh, <clears throat> no, I did not. I had no desire to go look more into this. And I had, I had the Peter Griffin, you know, thing of, for God's sake, somebody throw a pie. Huh. You know, just something happened that's interesting. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're history nuts or whatever, like, and you want to go see it, fine and dandy. But if you're one of these people, oh, what should I see? Barbie or Oppenheimer? Go to Barbie. Go to Barbie. Go to Barbie a second time, for Excuse God's me. sakes. Yeah, um, I would have rather spend the money on Barbie. Yeah, it, it, yeah, this was not. Uh, just. Uh, yeah. So okay, so I think we've, I think we've covered all of our bases. Um, I think. Uh, the most interesting thing about Oppenheimer is that halfway through the premiere, the cast walked out to join the uh, actor strike. Yeah. Well, so good on them. Like, even the cast couldn't sit through it for three hours. <laughs> even the cast were bored. Uh -huh. so, oh, God. All right. Um, so final grade for you for oh, Oppenheimer. I'm going to... Um, I got to go D. Mm. Like, and that pains me because historical biopic I, sh I should have liked this more but no I just I I the problem is I have nothing more than ugh. yeah I uh, I'm gonna be a, a tiny bit kinder yeah because you like it's every Nolan I think he's a misogynist butthole I think he's a good <laughs> filmmaker so I I will give this one a C minus oh. um bordering on the D just for, I, I can respect <laughs> the filmmaking of it but all the all the fancy tricks all of the camera work, all of the you know, the pompous you know, aren't I deep aren't I brilliant you know, filmmaking to 
me at least, is of no use if there's not a real human connection that I, that I as an audience member can relate with. This felt a little uh, Zack Snyder director cut to me. This, or just Zack Snyder. <laughs> I mean, let's not, let's not just I mean, the director's cut. I mean, yeah, I don't think I've seen a movie this self-important since the Zack Snyder director's cut. There you go. That, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, that is exactly, it has, it has just about as much connection to humanity or emotion or just as much. Yeah, I, I agree. I think. Christopher Nolan learned how to like women. <laughs> I actually Googled why does Christopher Nolan hate women? And multiple articles came up. That's not a good sign. No. Hmm. Anyways. Okay. So there you have it. There's there's that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to end that one, honey. There's that. There's, there's that. That Look, was more cows. That was a thing that we saw. <laughs> um, okay. But uh, anywho... So, uh, I, I don't have a clever sign-off or wrap-up for this, so we'll just... Bombs away! Bombs away! <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a thing. We saw it. We reviewed it. Go see it yourself if you don't like what we said. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so thank you for joining us on the drive. Thank you, my love. It was. It's always fun to go to a movie, and sometimes it's more fun to go to the movies that you end up hating because you're so funny when you hate things. This was me. Yes. Nah. Just like you, we started on Queen Bees. Cause you, yeah, because you don't hate things. You, you'll, you'll try to find the positive in any movie, but when you really don't like it, you just are like, oh! <laughs> like, I fly off the handle at everything, but you just, you know, you try not to. It, it's hysterical to me. Anyways. <laughs> so, uh, so yes. Yeah, so, thank you all for joining us. We'll be back with more things. Um, yeah. So, anyway, I just wrap it up. Just trying here. to wrap it up. Just tell them I, that we'll see them at the movie. I can't. I'm doing an Oppenheimer where every time you think it's over, I keep rambling. Just say it. <laughs> okay. So, thanks for joining us. And as always, drive safe, and we will see you at the movies.